Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. We are continuing our series on what pleases God. We've been doing this for the last few weeks, and, and uh, I have found six things in the Bible that pleases God. And let me ask you a question, a very serious question this morning. And that question is this, do you feel like God is pleased with you? Just something to think about. I think most people want to believe that God is somehow pleased with them. In fact, uh, no greater accomplishment could a person achieve than to please our God and Creator. And so how many of you would like to please the Lord? Let me see your hands. Well, that's what we've been doing. We've been talking the last few weeks, and that's why God led me to do this series. Now, the first person we talked about was from Hebrews 11.5, was a man by the name of Enoch. It says by, in Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch had his own personal rapture. He didn't die. He went straight from earth to heaven, and he left behind this testimony that he pleased God. You know, our Lord's approving smile is what should matter to us more than anything else. God's approval should take precedence over man's approval every day of our life. We should want to please God above everything else. And so we've been talking about six things the Bible tells us pleases God. And so the first one, the first thing that pleases God, I'm going to recap these real quickly for those who may have missed it. The first one is fervent faith. Fervent faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Brothers and sisters, everything we do as children of God, we do by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. You do not go through life based on what you see the circumstances look like. You have to walk by faith. When things are falling down around you, you have to know by faith that God is still on the throne and he holds you in the palm of his hand. The second thing that pleases God is divine discernment. Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 9-10. through 10. He said, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Brothers and sisters, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance in your life, if you need God to show you what direction to go, he wants you to ask him for it. He wants you to seek him because Solomon, by asking God for wisdom, it pleased the Lord. And if you know the story of Solomon, not only did God give him wisdom, and he was the smartest man who ever lived, but God also gave him riches and gave him fame and gave him victory over his enemies and all these other things because he asked for the right thing. My friend, when you ask for the right thing, God will give you things that you didn't ask for, but he knows you need anyway. And so divine discernment pleases God. The third thing that pleases God is soul salvation. Soul salvation. The Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. He has put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The reason Jesus died on the cross is so the world could be saved. And you and I, because of Jesus' love for us, when we commit our lives to Jesus, we ask him to forgive us of our sin. Jesus washes us with his blood and cleanses us and makes us righteous before a holy God. And when people get saved, it pleases the Lord. The Bible even tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice. Jesus said, the angels in heaven rejoice over one soul that is saved more than 99 just people who don't need repentance. So it pleases the Lord when people get saved. How many are glad you're saved today? Hallelujah. The fourth thing that pleases God is undeniable unity. Undeniable unity. We talked about this last Sunday night. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. That means, my friends, God places people in churches in the body of Christ according to what he pleases to do. Now, I've heard people, and I've seen people come to church over the years that I've pastored, and they come with what I call a spiritual prenuptial agreement. Uh, What I mean by that is they'll come in and say things like, well, this is where I'm attending for now. Or I'm on loan to this church for now. And I'm thinking, well, we never took out a loan on you. How does that work? Uh, You know, they come in with a spiritual prenuptial agreement. You know, a prenuptial agreement is what you do and you you think, oh, you go in with the mindset, well, just in case this don't work, this is going to be mine. (laughs) When I leave, I'm taking this with me. And and people come to church like that. But I want to tell you that you are not the one who chooses where you go to church. God does. That verse says, God sets the members, every one of them in the body, as it pleases him. God places the members in the body, and it pleases him when we get along with each other. In fact, God wants unity in his body because it shows the world that we belong to him. Jesus said by this, they'll know you're my disciples because you have love one toward another. And so that's why undeniable unity pleases God. So the fifth one is what we're going to talk about this morning. The fifth thing that pleases God is cherished children. Cherished children. Not just children that we have, you know, because you might be, th- you might listen, might be listening to me today and think, well, I don't have any kids. This doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does, because it goes deeper than that. In our text today in verse 17, it says that, And lo, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We see a perfect picture in our text today of Matthew 3 of the Holy Trinity. We see God the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. We see God the Son standing in the water after being baptized by John the Baptist. And we see God the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down from heaven and lighting upon Jesus. So we see a perfect picture of the Holy Trinity here. Now let me say this. We do not serve three gods. I know there are people that in other denominations, other denominations have been formed because they think that we serve three gods. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God that is manifested in three distinct persons. 
Now, some people have a hard time understanding that, so on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the best way I can, I want to explain to you as the best I can in a short time what that means. Now, the first of all, the Bible tells us in Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, Paul, in the context he writes that, he's talking about atheists. He's talking about people who deny God. And Paul says that the things of God, the invisible things of God, can clearly be seen in creation. And the things that God created, all of creation points to God if you'll look close enough. And Paul said, even his Godhead, in other words, even the Trinity can be seen in creation. And I want to give you an example of that. A perfect example of the Trinity in creation is water. The chemical composition of water is H2O. That means two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. That is the chemical composition of water. Now, most of us know water in its liquid form. In its liquid form, we can drink it. In its liquid form, we can bathe in it, we can swim in it. That's what most of us think when we hear the word water, and it is H2O. But you know, there are actually three different forms of water. You see, there's the liquid form that we just talked about. Then there is the solid form of H2O. We call it ice but it's still water. It's still H2O because the chemical composition never changes. And so when you have ice, it is the solid form of H2O, and you can use that to keep things cold. You can do, you put that on a, on a hurt and to reduce swelling. You can even skate on it. There's a lot of things you can do with ice, but it's still H2O, but it's in the solid form. And then H2O can do something else. If you take that ice, put it in a pot over some fire or some boil or, or some hot or some heat and boil that, all of a sudden the H2O will take on a different form called gas or we call it steam. And if you were to take a, com a, a little bit of sample of that steam and do the chemical composition of that steam, you would still find it is H2O. And with steam, you can use that to power a steam locomotive or a steam engine. You can use it to clear your sinuses up. There are so many things you can use steam for that you cannot use water or ice for, but it's still H2O. And so H2O, you see three different forms, three different jobs, but it's still H2O. Are you following me today? We don't serve three gods, but we serve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. One God and three distinct persons, and each one of them has a separate job to do. You see, the Holy Trinity works together in salvation. The Father draws sinners to Jesus. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Father draws sinners to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts the sinner of sin. The Bible says in John 16, 8, And when the Holy Spirit is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Father draws us. And then Jesus covers our sin with his blood. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. So you have the Father who draws the sinner, you have the Holy Spirit who convicts the sinner, and you have Jesus who forgives the sinner. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it is all one God, but all three distinct persons are working together. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Trinity. Can we give God praise today for that? So God the Father said, Jesus please him very well. So what does that mean for us? Because that's what we're looking at. We know Jesus pleased God. He announced it before everybody. So how can we please God? Well, let's take a look today at the ways that Jesus pleased God. The first way that Jesus pleased God was Jesus was God's son. Now, nobody can take Jesus' place. He was the only begotten son of the Father. No one can take his place. Jesus not only pleased God, but he made his Father proud of him. You know, we all love our children and want what's best for them. And when our children or our grandchildren accomplish something on their own, it makes us proud, don't it? It makes us proud when our children obey what we tell them to do. It makes us proud like when our son or our daughter hits a home run. Uh, you know, when they make good grades, it makes us proud. When we see them deny themselves something that they want in order to bless somebody else, oh, that makes you proud, don't it, parents? It makes you proud. I remember years ago when Lauren was little, she heard a missionary speak, and it was around this time of year, around November. And a missionary was speaking, and she heard it, and she was just a young girl, but it pricked her heart so much. She said, Mommy, Daddy, I want to give to speed the light. I want to do something for missionaries. Well, you know, the Lord was speaking to her. He didn't speak to me. <laughs> I'll just be honest. He didn't speak to me, but he spoke to her. And I'm thinking, okay, she's a little girl. She has no job. <laughs> and she has an allowance, but, you know. And I said, well, honey, if you want to give your allowance. No, no, I, I, want, I need to do more than that, she said. Now, again, the Lord didn't speak to me, but he spoke to her. And so this is where we as parents and grandparents, we encourage them to seek the Lord on their own to see what Because if God is really speaking to them, he will tell them what to do. And so here's what she ended up doing. She decided that for Christmas that year, she would tell everybody when they asked her, what do you want for Christmas? She would tell them, I don't want any presents for Christmas. I just want some money that I can give to missionaries. And that's what she told everybody in the family. And she began collecting money. And because God spoke to her, God gave her the idea of how to do it. And this little girl began to give money to speed the light. And I want to tell you what, her parents were so proud of her. She did get presents for Christmas that day, that year. But she also gave money to missions. And so when you see your children doing something for the Lord, oh, it makes you proud. And I believe God the Father feels the same way when he sees us, looks down and sees us doing things, being obedient to what he's told us to do, doing things that he wants us to do. I believe it makes him proud of us. You know, in our text, Jesus was a grown man making his own choices, yet he chose to do his Father's will, even getting baptized by John in order to fulfill every detail of prophecy about him. You know, if Jesus needed to be baptized in water, then guess who else does? We do. That's right, because he's our example. Anything Jesus did, we need to do. If Jesus prayed to his Father, we need to pray to our Father. You know, he also received the power of the Holy Spirit for his earthly ministry. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You know, if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, guess who else does? We do. That's right. He's our example. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, we also need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, we cannot accomplish the task at hand relying on our own flesh or our own ability. We are not better than our master. Jesus is our example. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 8. I want to show you something here. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Now, we know that Jesus was God's son. But again, what does that mean for us? How, how can we please God? Because no one can take Jesus' place. But here's what Romans 8, verse 14 through 17 says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. My friend Paul says that if you are saved, you are a son or a daughter of God. You've been adopted into God's family. Hallelujah. And as God's children, we are entitled to everything that God has because we are joint heirs with Jesus. Everything Jesus gets, we get. Hallelujah. Anybody glad you're saved now? Hallelujah. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You get the inheritance. Hallelujah. Now, now I want you to notice this. Paul wrote this to the Romans. To the Romans. Now, and he, he, he did this. The reason he used this illustration is because he wanted to teach the Roman believers and use an illustration that they would be familiar with. Now, back in that day, according to Roman custom, in a legal adoption ceremony, four things happened. Now, this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote this to the Roman Christians. Now, so I want you to get this. The first thing that would happen is the adopted person gained all the rights of a natural-born member in his new family. Means everything this new family was bringing, it was adopting him into, he now had legal rights to everything in the family. My friend, as a child of God, you have legal rights through Jesus to everything that heaven owns. Hallelujah. That means healing for your body. That means peace that passes all understanding. That means God can provide a job for you when everybody else is getting laid off. Who am I preaching to today? I'm telling you, you are a joint heir with Christ. You've got all the benefits of the new family. That's the first thing. The second thing that would happen, the adopted person became heir to his new father's estate. That means everything the father owned, you now own as well. You now become heir of that. Hallelujah. The third thing that would happen is the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. That included the elimination of all debts. In a legal sense, once the adopted son took the name of his new father, his previous life never happened. Hallelujah. The Bible says, whoever comes to Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Anybody glad your former life is gone? Give God praise. Hallelujah. 
And according to Roman law, the adoption could not be voided. Hallelujah. My friend, you are a son or daughter of God. If you have given him your life and you're following him, anybody glad you're saved? Are there any adopted kids in the house today? Give God praise for adoption. That's why the weak can say, I am strong. That's why the poor can say, I am rich. Because you're a child of the king. Hallelujah. And you can please God as his son or daughter. You know, two times in scripture, on two different occasions, God the Father said he was well pleased with Jesus, his son. Many people spend their whole life searching for something that they can only get from their father. And that is validation. Validation means to recognize, establish, or illustrate the worthiness or legitimacy of. Children need to know they're good enough and accepted by their fathers. And we see families in America today are being are falling apart because fathers are not stepping up and being the godly example they need. And many kids are growing up without validation of their fathers. And I want to tell you today, however you're listening to me today on the internet or on the, uh, uh, here in the, in the house, if your earthly father did not validate you, listen to me, you have a heavenly father that wants to. You have a heavenly father that is ready to validate you and give you and tell you who you really are. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. My friend, God accepts you through Jesus. And we are, we are now joint heirs with him. And you are cherished children of the Most High God. And he is pleased with you. He loves you. And he will show you his plan for your life if you will seek him for it. Hallelujah. Now the second way that Jesus pleased God is Jesus was obedient. God was pleased with Jesus' obedience even though it cost him everything. You know, when you love someone, you will do what's best for them regardless of how you feel about it. I remember when I was a little boy and I was, I tended to get into things I wasn't supposed to. And I would often hear my dad tell me just before he spanked my hide, and I needed it. Yes, I did. I'm not, I'm not up here standing here emotionally scarred because I was spanked as a child. I want to tell you something. I needed it. And I am the man I am today because my parents, they disciplined me when I needed it. But I remember my dad saying, son, it is harder for me. This is going to hurt me more than it does you. And I never understand what he, never understood what he said until I had kids of my own. Well, as a parent, when you love somebody, you'll do what's best for them. Regardless of how you feel, because you know it's necessary for the child to learn what is right and what is wrong, so they, when they grow up, can make the right decisions. Now, I want to ask you something. Have you ever punished your child for being obedient? Well, that don't make sense, does it? Because when a child is obedient, you don't punish them, you reward them. You reward them. However, Jesus was judged when he had done nothing to deserve it. He was the innocent who died for the guilty. He was completely obedient to the will of his father, and yet what did it get him? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. 
Isaiah said that Jesus was struck down. He was judged by a holy God when our sins were placed upon him. You see, it wasn't God's fault that Jesus died. It was my fault. It was your fault. It was our sins that put him there. And Jesus voluntarily said, I'll take the judgment on myself so they can be forgiven, Father. And so when my sin and your sin was placed on Jesus, God the Father turned his back on his son because a holy God God cannot look at sin. And Jesus cried, Father, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus, the son, knew what it was like to have a father turn his back on you. And if you're listening to me today and you never had validation from an earthly father, if you had your father turn his back on you, Jesus knows exactly how that feels. But I want to remind you the reason God did that and the reason Jesus did that is because he wanted you and I to be saved. He wanted you and I to be adopted into his family. And I want to tell you, the grace of God is not cheap. It costs Jesus everything. And grace does not give you a license to live any way you want to. No. If anything, grace gives you more responsibility. Because now it's your responsibility to please God. Just as Jesus pleased God. And since you are God's son or daughter, he expects you to obey him. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. My friend, you can't say you love God if you're not obeying him. It doesn't work that way. You know, the Pharisees were religious people, but they were never obedient. They were never God's children. The Herodians were religious people, but they didn't obey God. They weren't God's children. The scribes were religious people, but they didn't obey the very words they were scribing down. They weren't God's children. You see, God's children obey Him. That's how you know the difference. With obedience does come rewards. Because Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes we are healed. My friend, as children of God, you can receive healing. You can receive peace. You can receive forgiveness of your sin. I recently saw a video of a, an apostolic preacher by the name of Reverend Lee Stone King. He was addressing the UN, the United Nations General Assembly in New York on April 22nd, 2015. You can actually Google this and find this on YouTube. It's, it's amazing to watch. And I got to thinking, what is a Pentecostal preacher doing at the UN? What is a Pentecostal preacher? Well, I know a Pentecostal preacher probably wants to tell him. But I said, what? how did he even get an invite there? And he tells his story on November 12th, 2003. This preacher fell dead from a massive heart attack in the airport of Sydney, Australia. He was declared clinically dead for 45 minutes. They did CPR on him. They gave him 10 electric shock treatments. Now in the United States, they customarily will give three electric shocks and then stop. In Australia, it's customarily they'll give you four electric shocks and they'll stop. But in his case, they gave him ten electric shocks and still nothing. He died. The blood began to coagulate in his hands and his arms and his legs. They put his body on a stretcher in the ambulance. They covered the body up. 
They filled out the paperwork. The paperwork was was done. It said DOA, dead on arrival. But while they were driving him in the ambulance, going toward the hospital, Jesus touched him in that ambulance and his heart that had stopped for 45 minutes began to beat again. I'm telling you, we are joint heirs with Christ. Everything God has, we're entitled to. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody needs to hear this. His heart began to beat. His lungs began to breathe again. The ambulance driver said he'd never seen anything like it in his all of his years of life. Well, they got him back to the hospital. They declared him, he is not dead. He is alive. And he returned back to the United States. And when he got back to the United States, he came back and he was totally healed. In 2004, he went to a hospital in Jackson, Tennessee for a follow-up to his, with his regular doctor. And the doctor said, Reverend Stone King, uh, we now have the capability to look into a person's DNA So we decided to look at your DNA to see what had happened when you died and what happened. And I want to tell you that the genome marker for heart disease has been completely removed out of every cell of your body. That is a medical miracle. It is medically impossible for that to be removed from every cell of your body. You know, after six minutes without oxygen to the brain, there is brain damage. And he suffers no brain damage because what God does, he does it all the way. The doctor said, you have defied the laws of medical science. The preacher said, I didn't, but I know the one who did. His name is Jesus. And he was able to lead the doctor to Jesus. I want to tell you, you may not know why you're going through what you're going through, but God may be getting ready to use you to lead somebody to him who don't know him. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'll be obedient even to death? Because that's what Jesus did, and he pleased the Father. So he's standing there at the U.N., Giving this testimony. Again, you can watch it yourself. It's amazing. He's at the United Nations and he tells them, he quotes Acts 2.38 to the UN. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. That's what he told the UN. And he said this, the answer to the violence and the answer to the human atrocities of our day is Jesus. And he preached to the United Nations, I'm telling you, God's plan for you is bigger than what you think it is. Give him praise. Hallelujah. So we need to be obedient to to God, even to death. Make up your mind now, Lord, I want to please you with my obedience. The third thing Jesus did that pleased God was he was the earthly incarnation of God. He was God here on the earth. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, we can't add anything to God's glory. Just like we can't make the sun shine any brighter. But we are commanded to recognize God's glory, to honor his glory, to declare his glory, to praise his glory, to reflect his glory, and live for his glory. That's what we're supposed to do on this earth. 
Jesus was God on this earth, and now that we're children of God, guess who now takes the place? We are his hands. We are his feet. We are, we are God's representatives. We are Christ's ambassadors here on this earth. But you know, too many people today want spirituality without Christ. They want to be religious, but they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. You know, the interesting thing about that is you can take the founder out of most religions and the religion will remain intact. Let me explain what I mean. Muhammad and Buddha supposedly were given their message from God. But if you ask a Muslim or ask a Buddhist, could God have given his message to anyone besides Muhammad and Buddha, they would have to say yes. Because that's all their claim to fame is, that they are just a messenger with a message. But now the Bible says, if anyone, even an angel from God, preaches to you any other gospel than what's already been preached, let them be accursed. My friend, people who follow these false religions are being lied to by the devil. And we need to pray for them that they will come to know the knowledge of, of the truth. But here's the thing with Christianity. Jesus didn't have a message from God. He was God. You can't take Jesus out of Christianity. My friend, Christianity is Jesus. You can't remove him. John 14, 9 says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Hallelujah. My friend, if you take Christ out of the word Christian, you're only left with I-A-N and E-N can't help you. You need Jesus, and we are his body. We are his hands, and we are his feet, and we are to be the embodiment of Christ here on this earth because that's what pleases God the Father. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. My friends, we please God by acting like Jesus here on this earth. And then the fourth thing that Jesus did, I'm closing with this. The fourth thing Jesus did to please God is Jesus loved others, including his enemies. Jesus loved others, including his enemies. You know, I would have expected Jesus hanging on the cross to pray, Father, help me. But he didn't do that. Hanging on the cross with the sins of you and I and the whole world, here's what Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus loved you and me. He loved the Roman soldiers who drove the nails in his hand. He lived exactly what he taught. He taught us to forgive our enemies, and to the very dying breath, Jesus was praying for his enemies. You know, we have a hard time forgiving somebody when they talk about us, when they hurt our feelings. But Jesus has forgiven us of everything. Everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, every sin, every word that was spoken. Do we think we're better than Jesus? Oh, heaven help us if we do. We're not. We are nowhere near better than Jesus, and yet we hold on to our grudges, don't we? We hold on to our unforgiveness. We hold on to our bitterness like we have the right to. No, we don't. We don't have the right. Here's the right that we have. We've been adopted into God's family. The only rights we have is to be like Jesus. And if you want to please the Father, we need to be like Jesus. 
Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Now there are two things I want you to notice in those verses. The first thing is, Jesus said we are to love each other the same way Jesus loves us. That means if he's forgiven you, you need to forgive others. If he has loved you with good, bad, and ugly, you need to love others with their good, bad, and ugly. We are to love each other the same way he loves us. And the second thing he said, we are to be role models for the rest of the world. He said, by this, the world will know you belong to me. You're going to be role models for the world. That's why Christians should not be in riots they should not be leading picket lines and, 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 and riot down the streets. Christians should be the ones who say, listen, hold up. We got enough of this fighting going on. Let's come together. Let's work on the solution together. Let's fall on our knees before God and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. Then he said he would hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. You know, in Vietnam, in one denomination... You can't be ordained as a minister until you've been to jail at least once for preaching the gospel. And have planted a church. And on ordination day, bring 50 people with you that you personally led to Jesus. Then they'll ordain you. Man, we need those standards in America. We'd have a lot less ministers, but they would be effective. Jesus only had 12, and look where we are now. But here's the thing. 90% of ordained ministers in that denomination in Vietnam are women. Ladies, what have you done for God lately? <laughs> well, I've got kids and a family to raise. So do they. I'm talking about pleasing God with the way you live your life. The story goes that a group of women... Ordained ministers were imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And after a week of being in prison, the jailer came to them with a piece of paper and he said this, we want you to sign this stating that you are leading an uprising against the government and we'll let you go home. Well, the women said, we're not against the government. We just want to tell people about Jesus. We're not going to sign that. He said, okay. He walked away. Another week went by. The jailer came back, said the same thing. We want you to sign this paper that says you are leading an uprising against the government and then we'll let you go home. And they said, we're not against the government. We're just standing for Jesus. We can't sign that. He said, look, I don't want to hurt you ladies, but I've been ordered to beat you into compliance. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the bars of this cell and I want you to scream so they think that I'm beating you. Well, instead, the ladies began to sing as loud as they could so everybody could hear them singing. And the jailer said, no, don't do that. You're going to mess it all up. And they kept singing praises to God until he fell on his knees and said, tell me about this Jesus that you're standing for. And they led the jailer to Jesus. Hallelujah. My friend, I'm talking about being obedient to God. What pleases God? Obedience and crucifying yourself. Being willing to lay down your pride and your life for what Jesus wants. So the jailer got saved, but they didn't go home. Another week went by. The jailer came back. 
He said, listen, I've talked to the authorities and they have agreed that you can go free if you sign this paper. And they said, listen, we've told you already, we are not signing the paper. We are not against the government. He said, no, you don't understand. This is a different paper. This paper states that you love God more than normal. They said, we'll sign that. And they signed that. Hallelujah. My friends, what is my vision for Raven Assembly? I want people who drive by this church to say, those people love God more than normal. My friends, we need to be obedient sons and daughters of God, the embodiment of Christ in this world. And we need to love everyone, including our enemies. And when we do that, not only will we please our Father in heaven, and he will validate you, but my friend, then the world will sit up and take notice that there's something different about that group of Christians. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.